Welcome to Beauty Will Save the World. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Susie Solabiv. I am a narrative consultant working for myself, a cradle Orthodox Christian from a convert family, married to Gregory. We have one daughter. We live outside of Boston, and I read way too many books. I'm Rebecca Lonovich. I love the Orthodox Christian Church, and I want to share conversations here about the faith from our hybrid cradle convert perspective. I'm married to Victor, the best person in the world, and together we have three sons and live in the Pennsylvania wilds. This podcast is about faith and friendship, family and food, feminism, books, Netflix, art, and music. All the things. Most of all, it is about our experiences of beauty that brings us deeper into the love of God. So what you got going on, Susie? Christ is risen, by the way. It's still the truly podcast. is risen. Truly is risen. Say it all the times before the possible season ends. Yeah. <laughs> See what do I have going on? I think I told you last week we have another family who we are now joined forces to try to keep our children entertained, <laughs> right? Um, and to save our own sanity. And it's been great because it's a husband and a wife and two kids. And their daughter is two weeks older than my daughter. And the husband is actually one of Greg's closest friends. He was the best man at their wedding and so on and so forth. So they were over today. They're coming over every two to three days and just spending the afternoon and we eat dinner together. And oh. so anyway, the point of this is that I have been making desserts like crazy. <laughs> so we make the food on Sunday and they make dinner Tuesday and Thursday. Okay. Uh, but I've been making dessert for us to have on Tuesdays and Thursdays and like basically going insane and working my way through fancy uh, cookbooks. Wow. <laughs> not, even, not even fancy cookbooks, just like the Great British Baking Show. Yeah. One of, the, one of the contestants wrote a cookbook and I've been working my way through his. So I made a tart with my first ever homemade pastry. Oh. And... I made frangipan and creme pat to go on top. And then I decorated it with strawberries and blackberries. And I did a strawberry jam glaze over the fruit. And then I even cut strawberry into the shape of a heart. And so overall, I was just very impressed with myself. (laughs) That's like my big news for today. Wow, you had a busy day. Oh my gosh. I guess I did. Yeah, because I had the call with you and the Caesar Story gang earlier, too. Yeah. Ugh. Company for dinner and baking. What is frangipan precisely, by the way? It, so it is... I'm so glad you asked because <laughs> um, I didn't know either. And they kept talking about it on the Great British Baking Show. So I'm pulling up the exact... Wait, okay. Hmm. Almond cream. It is almond cream, but you can make it with any nut. So I made mine with pecans um, because I love pecans and especially for baked goods. Didn't have almonds, so there you go. (laughs) In the UK, it is the Great British Bake Off, but in the United States, Pillsbury owns the um, trademark for Bake Off. Great, you said that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the bake the baking show. I was watching it with the boys a while back, and like the slight different terminology, like what Americans call certain things and what 
British people call certain things was like, it was just cracking me up. And every time they say biscuits, I just lose it because mentally. And that goes both ways because my aunt Katrina is Scottish. She met my uncle when he was in the Navy. And they got married in Vegas. I love it. <laughs> Some of my favorite people. And he's he came from my dad's family from down in Virginia. And he said, I guess one morning he told her that he was going to make biscuits and gravy, which, you know, like, and, um, in uh, yeah. England, that's quite a, quite a different dish than what it is down in the American South. <laughs> Goodness. I keep having to Google things in this, in this recipe book because they list things like corn flour. It's like corn flour. What the heck is corn flour? Is it actually like flour made out of corn? Like, is it extra ground up cornmeal? Nope. It's cornstarch. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good to know. Um, I will say though, baking with grams, like baking by weight. Oh yeah. So superior to baking by cups, baking with cups and teaspoons and things like that. Like you still use teaspoons, but but the cup system is really like pretty awful when you think about it. Now I have a scale and I can attest. (laughs) Very interesting. Well, something to add to the list. Gut skill. I actually have a kitchen scale, but it's not a digital one. And oh. I use it quite a bit. I I like I'm very passionate about precise measurements. So I I think this would really suit me, Susie. I think it would. I think I mean you're a you are a pretty adventurous baker. I think you would enjoy it. <laughs> I don't mind I've been going for like minimal effort, maximal cake in my face recipes. So that's kind of been my approach the shortest possible distance between <laughs> making it and kicking my face. I've had some success with that approach, I'll tell you. I have never been interested in baking. I mean, my passion actually is vegan cooking. I love vegan cooking and I love vegan baking, which is weird because I'm not obviously not a vegan. I think though, if I weren't Orthodox, I might be vegetarian though, just because I love eating vegetarian and I love cooking vegetarian. But the reality is I was raised to think of meat as a treat. So I think if it came down to it, I could probably live with just hamburgers. Like if I had to eliminate everything else, but I really am passionate about cheeseburgers. Another important touchstone of our friendship. I 100% agree with you on the burgers issue. I think I feel that the cheese is a little bit of a gilding the lily situation for me, but I, I, I don't mind it. We've brought two of my favorite things in, in the world, actually, into this conversation. I like it. That's delightful. <laughs> One of my all-time favorite things that we have ever done together was when we went to get those potato pancakes. It was not, I mean, <laughs> potato pancakes, as far as I remember, were good. But what was really um, outstanding about the experience was that you brought your own sour cream. <laughs> you knew that they wouldn't give us enough. And (laughs) ultimately, the potato pancakes are the vehicle for the sour cream. So... 100% true. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I'm not going to sit there like an idiot and ask for more sour cream. I know how much I need. I'll bring my own. (laughs) (laughs) You're paying them the same amount regardless. So... Yeah. I'm not going to wait for them to bring it to me. 
I need it when I need it. Yep. Well, you need it when the potato pancakes are still hot. Okay, so what's new with you? Oh, Victor got a truck today. A truck? Ooh. A happy husband. Bless his heart. He's been driving my, my little Honda Civic. That is a coupe that I bought right out of nursing school. And I loved it. But he's uh, six foot four. And when he sat in it, his knee pushed up against the emergency brake. He hated it. But it was in really good shape and it took him, he has a bit of a commute. So it was like a, you know, like a low cost commute and it was paid off. So he wasn't going to get rid of it. Yeah. But he, he kept driving into snowbanks and <laughs> there's a lot of snowbanks here in the wintertime and I got tired of having to fix it. So, so I was like, I just got back from the shop. I got all the, the damage fixed to it and like it had been scraped up a little bit here or there. Like the bumper was ripped a little. It was just like, you know, those plasticky bumpers, you just like tap them and they're torn up. And so I was like, this is just going to keep happening. It's time. So I said he could get it. <laughs> I said he could get a truck. He is so happy. Exactly the, mo- the, like the, the model, exactly the color he wanted. They threw in a couple extras, you know, because the dealership is right here in town and they were happy to have his business. And so, yeah, he's kind of happy right now. (laughs) Bless him. And he deserves it. It's been like years now he has had to drive that little car and he's all scrunched up in it. It has a hitch. We can haul stuff. We can get a plow for the front, for our driveway. And we can, well, you know about the roads around here, Susie. You have some experience. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We don't have to fear where Google Maps may route us. We can take on whatever whatever roads Pennsylvania Wilds wants to offer. So yeah, so he's very, very, very happy. And also the road to his work is, can be treacherous in the wintertime. That is, that is very exciting. And <laughs> it is going to make for some exciting visits, I think. Oh, that's right. Last time you were here, you were driving a truck as well, as I recall. Yeah, Greg was on a mission to haul <laughs> stuff. And I really don't see that changing next time we get down there. <laughs> Anyway, so that's us. We are revisiting today the topic of some of our favorite saints, although I still take issue with the word favorite, like close or dear or I don't know. It's like you have your good friends and your best friends. Analogy of friends for me works best because it's like some people's personalities just suit you better. (laughs) So why don't you kick it off? Because I went first last time. And I want to know. (laughs) Well, for me, I think my number one is St. John Maximov. But I first encountered him in San Francisco in 2004 when the Rocor jurisdiction held its youth conference there in July. And I was 19 and I was really recently orthodox. I had only been about a year and a half, I think, since I was baptized. And I was still, what's the word? Like, you know, like things like relics and mean icons. I hadn't encountered, certainly not incorrupt, you know, relics in a place like um, San Francisco, like St. John's. And one of the lectures, I think given by the, I want to say maybe the choir director, whose name I don't know, 
of the cathedral choir gave a talk, and I guess he grew up with St. John. He just said to speak very simply to St. John, you know, whatever was on your heart. Later on that day, everybody that was in the choir was practicing. I walked back across the street to the cathedral, and the doors are open, so I went inside, and I was like, well, I'll give this a shot, you know. <laughs> and so I went to St. John's Relics. I just said what was on my heart, everything, like all my things I was worried about, and just everything. And I, as if I was talking to a real person who didn't, who wasn't embarrassed to, <laughs> to tell my heart to. And I finished up and then the curse screwed icon was still there. And I, I venerated it. And then I turned around and walked out. And I think I felt like I was floating down the stairs of the cathedral. Like I was so lighthearted and so happy. And, you know, that kind of mood turnaround is not... <laughs> Not something that I do very well on my own. So it wasn't me. I knew that. And that was probably one of my first, like, most tangible um, experiences of that kind of grace that I didn't understand and before and hadn't experienced. But it was such a gift. And ever since then, I turned to St. John with problems or, like, especially about my family, about my children, because I know that he cares. <laughs> I know that. Told Victor, the first thing I want to do is take my children. I want to show them to St. John. And so that's like my number one priority after we can travel again is to go to go do that. I love that. I've gone to see St. John a couple of times. The first time was when I was 16. No, 15, 15, 16. I went to San Francisco for a wedding. And that was my first time in California. It was my first time seeing an Orthodox church that large, and I was completely blown away. Oh, yeah. Completely, because I, you know, I had no, con like, this was before the reunification. It was before it was, like, it was, it was well before I had any thoughts about, like, traveling to an Orthodox country to see what it was like. And, yeah, it was just, like, it blew my mind. <laughs> I had no idea it was possible, really, to have such a large Orthodox Church. And I was really afraid of St. John, like, because I had never seen relics, like, like, full relics before. And I remember being really scared at first. And then I prayed about it. And I went up and venerated and left feeling a lot of peace. So I feel like that was a strong temptation for me because I, I was young. <laughs> and it was all very overwhelming. And it wasn't quite what I, you know, it wasn't what I expected. But then I went back to San Francisco when my brother was ill. So my brother, I can't remember, have we discussed my brother on the podcast before? I don't, I don't think so. Maybe just briefly. Okay. Well, my oldest brother was a professor of Russian, of Slavic linguistics, and then he became a monk. And he was, for a brief period of time, the head of the Russian ecclesiastical mission in Jerusalem. And he was sick. So he came home after being in Jerusalem for maybe seven months and became ill. And we took him to the doctor and it turned out he had cancer and he had very serious cancer and he became ill very quickly. And he started chemo still in the United States, living at home with me and my mother. And right about the time that he got really sick and was the first hospital stay, I think it was, I was dating a guy in San Francisco. I flew out to see him. 
and I was able to go to see St. John. And again, I left with this like very intense feeling of comfort and happiness. And then when Gregory and I got married, mm-hmm. we went out to San Francisco to, to visit his mother's side of the family, his uncle, who wasn't able to come to the wedding. Mm-hmm. And we spent a day in San Francisco before we drove up to see them in Santa Rosa. And we went to venerate St. John's relics. And we also went to the old cathedral, where mm-hmm. then Father James, now Bishop James, does a very special kind of mulieben, where he wraps you up in St. John's mantia and puts St. John's cloakbook on your head. He did that for us. We were very newly married, and he also gave us some marriage advice that I don't remember. I remember thinking at the time it wasn't particularly relevant to us, <laughs> and unfortunately now I'll never know if it was, because I just don't remember what he said. But that was right before we started a really hard period of our lives with job loss and pregnancy and like on and on and on and on. And so I've always felt very comforted by the fact that we went to see St. John at the (laughs) beginning of that journey. And then I felt a strong sense of closure when we took our daughter, who was like a year and a half old and went back to California for a wedding. And we took her to see St. John and I was now employed. I was out of my depression. Things were going better with my daughter, it felt, it felt somehow like St. John had seen me through this journey. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I hope that makes sense and it's coherent. It's very clear yeah. to me in my head. Yeah. Okay. So this is another story about St. John, how he helped me. Yeah. Again, about my family, sort of. After I got back from San Francisco at the conference, I, <laughs> I told my sister because we went together and I was like, I was like, I don't know, like, I don't think any of these kind of our boys are going to marry us. I was like, we're not Russian. They just want to marry Russian girls. I was like, <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was like, I don't know what we're. I mean, this is not our crowd. And she's like, oh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that's like that. But I was like, pretty sure. And that was just like the vibe I got. I guess you know, like, um, yeah, we were like the converts and like kind of like on our on our in our own group and that. Everybody else knew each other from camp and, you know, whatever. And so, like, I thought I was really pondering this because, you know, I never really dated anyone. And I was, like, 19, and I was feeling like a really old old maid, you know, with, like, no boyfriend even. (laughs) Um, I was thinking, you know what? I'm going to ask St. John to help with this because I never had a boyfriend, and I don't know. I don't know anybody I'd like to date right now. And I was going to ask for a boyfriend and I thought, well, I should probably ask for a husband because then he'll know I'm serious. And so the first Sunday that we were back, I went to the, we had a beautiful icon of St. John um, at the parish in West Virginia because our priest was an iconographer and he um, had, had painted it. It was beautiful and quite a large one. And I went to the icon and I just explained. I said, I was like, please send me a husband. <laughs> and that was like, what, that was my prayer. Um, I was like, well, you know, he helped me out before and I, I know he cared. So, and then I, I walked back across the church to where the choir sang. I was in the choir. And as I walked past, I was like, did it, like out of the corner of my eye, I thought, I thought I saw someone and I was like, is there a, is there a, a new guy here? 
And it turns out that was the first, very first Sunday that Victor, my husband, ever attended <laughs> that our church. And you know, we didn't start dating for another over a year. But when we when we got married on the day of our wedding, I went back to the to the icon and thanked Saint John from the bottom of my heart because you know he's the best. Victor is the best thing that ever happened to me, and besides becoming Orthodox, and you know I told you he's like the kind of person people like spontaneously cheer when he walks into a room. <laughs> It's just like a very special person and I'm like the luckiest person in the world to be with him. And I know all the way down to the bottom of my heart that St. John sent him. And that was out of just like love and generosity. I don't deserve him. <laughs> I know it's the, the most beautiful gift of my life besides my children. Wow. That's an, that's a really beautiful story. <laughs> I don't know. I just know that he cares and loves me and I you know, I'm so grateful. One thing that popped up for me as you're saying that was I've heard people say, and I can't remember who said this or when, but someone say that St. John is the only reason that San Francisco is still around. (laughs) (laughs) Who could say like, I I mean, that sounds like a good reason. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I forgot to say too. I said, you know, these Russian boys aren't going to date us, and Victor is 100% Russian. Well, he's Belarusian, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, um, I always tease my husband to say, you're not Russian, you're a Belarusian Ukrainian. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was, uh, Babushka was Belarusian, and Greg's Dedushka was uh, Ukrainian. Oh, okay. <gasps> I think I did not know that. Nobody talks about that. <laughs> with Ukrainian. <laughs> okay, so I have to I have to follow your story with a story about saints who I feel like I can't say they they chose us, but I feel like they were almost teasing us and they're now like good friends and like we have icons of them in our house and everything. Okay. So Greg and I have both spent time in Russia, and Russians have in recent years developed a very deep veneration for these somewhat minor saints, Saints Peter and Favronia. Oh, yeah. So traditionally, the patron saints of marriage and family life that are honored in Russia are Saints Adrian and Natalia. Okay. But... Saints Peter and Favronia are homegrown Russian saints, and so it's... I think, and I've talked to other people about this, I really think that the, that the Russian government pushed forward Saints Peter and Favronia as examples of family life to, to increase patriotism and to kind of push that agenda forward. That's my theory because, like, it doesn't – they make such a huge deal out of it. It's like Russian Valentine's Day, really? all of these things. Yeah, yeah, it's, like, it's intense. All of these church events happen. Russia had this big, like – push for people to have more children and to get married young. And so like a lot of stuff was happening around that. And if you look at the saints lives, like it's one of those stories that reads a little bit like a fairy tale. And so it's like, I don't, you know, I'm not sure about this hagiography. Like I'm sure it's, you know, accurate in the basic details. Uh, But it's like, 
we were we were a little skeptical and we also felt we also both felt like the government had a heavy hand in in this and that always feels a little weird right. <laughs> you know it was pushing for saints peter and favronia day to be the day of love instead of valentine's day which is part of the decadent west and yada 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 so greg and i have the had bars too lengthy- valentine <laughs> yeah but so Greg and I had had lengthy conversations about this and like what an interesting phenomenon it was and how we were both kind of, you know, skeptical about it and why weren't they venerating Saints Adrian and Natalia and on and on and on and like had talked to other people about this. And so Gregory and I got together on a beautiful night in July at Jordanville when I was there for the summer music school and I can't remember whether it was the next day or the next week I looked up the saints of the day, because I was like, oh, this is probably important. And guess who it was? <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> yep, it was Saints Peter and Fifronia. <laughs> so that was like when you first started dating? Is that like when you made it official or something? Yep. Oh, my yep. Oh, my so when we got together, like... I mean, because we were friends for such a long time, it wasn't like a normal dating trajectory. It was like, if we're together, we're together. Like, we're not easing into dating or whatever. We know each other too well. Right. So, which was part of the reason it took such a long time for us to get together, because I was like, I can't date you and if I'm not going to marry you. And so, like, we started, yes, we started dating, but that was really, like, the night we got together, I guess. <laughs> right, I mean, like right, we were talking right. about like children's names that first week. So, um, oh, yeah, it was, we were ridiculous. We were ridiculous. We were only even dating for nine months before you proposed. Um, uh, so. Well, you know, but you know each other for a lifetime. It's, you know, that's different, you know. We, we had known each other for seven years at that point. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I pointed out to Greg, our, the seventh anniversary of, the of dating like of getting together is coming up this summer and then we'll have crossed the line where we'll have been together for longer than we weren't <laughs> which is kind of funny to me you know, um, I always just have felt like God was making a point well too like about St. Peter and Favonia I think it's kind of nice I don't know their story very well but I think they were married and they had a family right they were and then in their old age they became monastics Okay, so a lot of times someone is like, oh, look to the saints for inspiration for your marriage. And then, you know, there's a list of married saints, and they, all of them were married and then immediately martyred the same day. Or lived as brother and sister. <laughs> yes, their entire marriage is brother and sister. Or as soon as they converted to Christianity, they separate and go to live in monasteries, and so they're not together. They're separate. Yeah. Um, and it's after their children are raised or whatever. It's not very helpful. <laughs> You know, yeah, like, it's not particular. I should say it's not particularly instructive to like me and my current situation. And I don't know, I guess we could start picking out our monasteries for the future, but you know, like, right. we go that route. But I mean, otherwise, like, what's our takeaway? And I'm sure that there is takeaways, there's but it's nice to have an example of a couple that lived in love and you know, like, raised a family and that you know, there is no wild adventures during that time it was just normal and then you know they finished their life in in prayer which is lovely. in the life of saints peter and favronia they talk about how saint favronia was pursuing saint peter for a long time 
<laughs> and so that's kind of the opposite with me and Greg. Greg pursued me for a long time before I before I, I gave in slash came around, whatever you want to call it. So I that always rang true for me a little bit too. I, I don't know. I just, there was something about that that... In this story, you're Peter. Apparently. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the lady knowing what she wants. Well said. I do feel like I need to mention St. Seraphim. Oh, yes. I mean, St. Seraphim is just obviously a wonderful saint, if you know anything about him at all. He is incredibly kind and loving and gentle, and, like, you can't help feeling touched by his life and his words. But the other connection for me is the camp, St. Seraphim camp. And that's where Gregory and I met, and that's where I met the majority of my Orthodox friends, I would say. But when we were in the woods, like it was very comforting to know that we had a patron saint who was also living in the woods and who had animals around him, who loved children. We all, I think, felt like St. Seraphim was watching over us. And I swear to you, St. Seraphim was really watching over us because people did some dangerous things at that camp <laughs> from time to time. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I don't want to cast aspersions, but I mean, kids in the woods are kids in the woods. Uh, yeah. And so I also credit St. Seraphim really for giving me my, my family in some ways, because that's where I met Greg. But before Greg and I started dating, like I, you know, I knew his family from camp oh. and I knew what they were like. And we had uh, relationships, even if we weren't close to each other. And that as somebody who deals with anxiety, I think that was really helpful for me, mm -hmm. knowing what I was going into, and also knowing that we had this big, loving, supportive community from the camp. Your wedding, I was like, that was a young person's wedding. <laughs> you know, just like youth everywhere. <laughs> so much dancing. And I, it was so, it was beautiful. It was so joyful and like robust and just exuberant. And, and I was like, oh man, that, that's the, that's a thing. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but I was six months pregnant at the time. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember. You looked great. <laughs> I was like, you know, like exuberance was not my personal vibe, but I did appreciate it. And just like extreme, like energy of the crowd. It was, it was a beautiful thing. And then, oh my gosh, Dimitri's wedding, the same, like that was great. It was just yes. so joyful. I just loved seeing that both of yours. Yes. And uh, I mean, it was a lot of the same people too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the other thing was with St. Seraphim, when Greg was living in Russia and dating someone else, he went to Divyevo. And I can't remember if I asked him or not, but we definitely were not dating. But he brought me back a little medallion icon of St. Seraphim. Aww. that was blessed on the St. Seraphim's relics. And I wear it every single day on my cross chain. And I have since he gave it to me. And obviously well before we got together. So it was a token of our friendship and our shared love of the saint. And then, yeah, it's, it's really special to have that and to wear that and know that St. Seraphim is still watching out for us and for our marriage. Yes. And to know he was praying for me at St. Seraphim's Relics, like, it's oh. very special. Yes, it is. That's lovely. Oh, before we wrap up, I was thinking maybe we could end our episodes by asking each other what we're reading. Okay, yeah. 
And if you're not reading anything, then you can just say that and be like, I am reading the internet. <laughs> well, there is a fair amount of that going on, Susie. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, but so um, you go first. Okay. So what I'm reading right now, all of my stuff, almost all of my stuff is embarrassing. So it will make you feel better. Even better. You know, <laughs> no. So I have been very eagerly awaiting this YA novel. <laughs> Yeah. Right. You told um, me about this. Yes. Yes. It is called The Betrothed. It is by Kira Cass, who wrote The Selection, which is, The Selection is a three, actually, it's a five book series uh, that's like The Bachelor meets Cinderella meets The Hunger Games. And it's set in dystopian future America, and I love it. And so I actually thought that this book was going to be another selection book because that's what it looked like and it is not but I'm still really enjoying it so far I think I'm going to be very mad at the author by the end but that's okay like just because basically I think the girl should marry the king and I think she's not going to marry the king (laughs) I am also reading from thriftbooks.com Shout out to thriftbooks.com. Feel free to sponsor us if you so desire. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, please. I, I am reading uh, in its entirety the four-book series Secret Society Girl by Diana Petterfriend, which is something I read in college, so it's a reread. And it is a novel about a girl in college who is admitted to a secret society, and it is absolute trash, and I love it. (laughs) It This is, like, my antidote for all of the depressing things happening all the time all around us, is I am reading amazing trashy novels, and I'm so happy with them. And is there anything else on my shelf? I'm also lightly dipping into a book called The Cult of Trump, which is by a leading expert on cult, Stephen Hassan. That's not where I thought that was going. <laughs> and oh, like a literal cult. <laughs> okay. Well, that's his, that's his theory is that the way Trump operates is like a cult leader. Oh. And so he compared, so he was, the author is a psychologist, psychiatrist, I don't remember, but he was a Mooney back in the day and freed himself or was freed himself from that cult and now helps other people who are cult survivors and writes a lot about cults. And so he wrote this book that explains what a cult is and how it works and then compare and then is comparing the president to a cult leader. And it's fascinating. Um, And it's helping me to understand some of what I see going on. Very interesting. Hashtag politics. I hadn't thought about it from that angle. That's kind of intriguing. I gotta take a look look it up. Yeah. So I'm also reading a book called Thunderhead, which is the third book in a series called Scythe, a dystopian novel set in the future in which death, natural death, has been eliminated. People can be immortal. Everybody has nanites in their bodies that will speed up physical repair, and you can set back your age and stuff. And so to keep the population down, they have designated people who go around killing or gleaning a certain number of people each year, and they're called scythes. And as you can imagine, it's not going well. So... (laughs) 
I'm reading the last book of that, and I, frankly, it's uh, it's pretty dark to be reading right now, so I keep picking it up and putting it down, even though I really enjoy it. And when I have to sit with my daughter in her room late at night, I am reading Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil on my Kindle. Yeah, my sister and I went there for a little, like, girls again many years ago, and then everything was referencing that book, and so we listened to it on the way back home. Savannah is such an interesting place. It, you know, there's no, well, it's a whole story. I'll tell you another time. But yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating city. I think it's such a contrast, I think, between, Char- have you been to Charleston, South Carolina? No, I haven't. I haven't been to Savannah either. Um, okay. Although that was our other choice for our honeymoon. I love, I love both cities. And, the, and like, they're so close, like, maybe like a, at most two hours apart, but they're so different. Oh, wow. I know it's a completely different vibe and it's fascinating. I think I love them both though. If you're seeing Insta stories <laughs> who live further South than me and like there's beautiful full leafed out trees and you can see that the breeze is blowing and it's a blue sky and even like all the flowers, like the flowering blooms of spring have already passed. Like that's over and it's just like summer mm-hmm. now. And I, mm-hmm. and then I just I look out my window and I, I, I think about my life choices and wonder if I made the right ones. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I just really need warm weather, Susie. (laughs) So it's coming, um, it's coming, I promise. (laughs) So these are three I'm juggling and I've kind of relapsed into my phone reading lately. So I'm trying to get back into, back into reading, reading. So the first one, I just actually just started the introduction. I haven't got very far at all, but it's called How Catholic Art Saved the Faith. And mm-hmm. I heard the writer who is Elizabeth Lev. I think she's, she is a art historian for the Vatican, actually. Like she lives in Rome. And I, I had heard her on a podcast before, and I heard her recently talking about this book. And I was so interested, you know, with what she had to say, especially about this era of art, which is early Renaissance. And I hate Renaissance art. I hate it. I don't get it. And I just, I'm like, why are there people naked all over the place? Like, there were people just like, oh my gosh, so we, we can paint penises now? And then they just did that all the time. Like, what? You know? Like, why? <laughs> <laughs> I just don't get it. And, and especially, you know, in, in the context of sacred art, like, um, what is going on? You know? I don't, and like, we went yeah. to, we went to Rome um, for our honeymoon and we went to the Sistine Chapel, and I was just like, ah, yeah. And Victor's like, I think you're the only person in the, ever to to say that about this. I was like, I don't know, it's not my thing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, well, you know what? She's passionate about this topic, and I, I was really intrigued by what she had to say on the podcast. And so I'm going to read her book and learn a little bit about the Renaissance, and particularly how the painters during the Counter-Reformation era of influence and her thesis in this book is how it preserved and rejuvenated the Catholic faith following the turmoil of the Reformation, Protestant Reformation. So I'm, I'm excited. It has a, it's, a really, it's a paperback, but it's really heavy because it's got beautiful color um, photos of lots of artwork. And so it's kind of a treat. And then the other one is this book called um, Off the Hook by Timothy P. O'Malley. And I also heard him on a podcast. He teaches a class called, I think called Marriage and Family or something like that at Notre Dame. 
And I was intrigued because he was talking about how the sacrament of marriage, and of course he's Catholic, so it's a little bit, a little bit different than our, our understanding of the sacrament of marriage, but about how it is a, a vehicle for healing and union, not just between the couple, but for the world. Uh, like a vehicle of grace, not just for the two people in the marriage, but for everyone. And that was a really interesting take on it. And so I wanted to see what he had to say in depth. And that's why I got his book. So far, I think some, a few helpful things. There's a lot of, how would you say, like putting down of like hookup culture, which I'm not, you know, a proponent of, but I would like to hear more about, okay, but like, what about the, what exactly about the sacrament, like makes it what it makes it what it is. So I had um, an Orthodox friend recently argue with me that it, that it's not actually a sacrament at all. It's just a blessing. Is that and a, I want to say that is a conversation sort of in the Orthodox Church, isn't it? Is it? I think it is. And I would like to dive more into that maybe in another episode. Well, it's something I don't know much about, honestly. Like, I feel, I feel like marriage is like, <laughs> no one talks about it, right? Like, in the Orthodox Church, yeah. everybody, and I feel like in the Catholic Church, people are like marriage, 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 and they're like, oh, in religious life, <laughs> which is like monastic life, but but and like we're the opposite. We're like, you know, like monastic, monasticism, monasticism, saints, saints, monastic saints, monastic saints. Oh, I mean, like you know, if you have to get married, you know. but I think there's, I I think that's yeah. not, that's not the emphasis of the church. It's just the the way that things have played out in certain areas of orthodoxy, like certain regions. I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's what the church, you know, wants for us. It's just, you know, different things for different people, you know, but anyway. And then the other one I have, I just got out um, Green Dolphin Street to start it again, because it's been many years since I read it. Yeah. I need to get a copy of Pilgrim's Inn. I thought I had it, but I don't. Oh, it's a treat, Susie. I also, I just finished Castle on a Hill, which I also I hadn't read since mm-hmm. the first time many years ago. And it's a really good one for right now um, because it's set during the, the Blitz and, and uh, partly in London and partly in the countryside. And it's, it's a good one. It's not as lighthearted. I would say it's not lighthearted at all, but it's very touching. And it's, I enjoyed it very much. I think we are at time. All right. Yes. Well, thank you for joining me, Subi, <laughs> and all of our listeners, our many thousands. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> you all are amazing, and we appreciate you so much. Share, subscribe, follow. If you're interested in more content, check out the Patreon. Yes. And we can't wait to talk to you next week. Thank you, each and every one, for joining us today. We would love to continue this conversation with you on our Patreon-linked Slack channel. We have the Patreon so that, for once, the trolls will have to pay a toll to spew obscenities and call us prostitutes. But we want to cultivate a community there that we can grow towards in-person, real-life friendships. Please share the podcast with someone you think will like it. And if you liked it, please rate it on iTunes or wherever. If you did not like it, please keep your opinions to yourself. Also, please pray for us. Thanks and talk with you all soon. Bye.